Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I am your host Leela Winston. Thank you so much for tuning in. I pray you're well. Um, as you know, we come together to read in the Word of God so that we can uh, apply the Word of God in our lives and also so that we can discover the purpose of our lives. And uh, today we're actually going to do a Bible study that I think is really going to um, sort of bless you and open your eyes to a lot of things that are currently going on in your life, help you to understand people a whole lot better. Um, this Bible study was really eye-opening for me, um, and so I want to encourage you to take some time after this Bible study to kind of read the scriptures that are provided here in this Bible study. And at the end, I'm going to try and list those scriptures so that you can write them down and actually study them. So go ahead and grab your uh, Bible and let's get started. Now we're going to read from, I believe it is in Hebrews and it's going to be chapter three. So it's Hebrews chapter three and we're going to read from verse eight until verse 12. Now, obviously this it's only four scriptures, but um, I oh, actually want to read to verse 13. So it's only five scriptures, so it's short. But I want to focus on a couple of things in this uh, set of scriptures because I think it's going to help us. You know, I don't know, you know, what you may be doing, but I'm guessing that you are involved or with other people, family members, friends, etc. So I think this is really going to be a blessing to you. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible. So I'm going to get started and I'm going to start at um, verse eight. It says, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw me work forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now that's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8. Uh, to 12. And this is actually a powerful scripture because it is encouraging believers to encourage each other. And I love scriptures like that because that's really the bottom line of being a believer in terms of um, you know, your interactions with other believers. Um, I think that's one thing that's really important when we talk about the idea of church. I think we have become enamored with this idea of going to a building and listening to someone, you know, speak a word or teaching or something like that, but we have less um, romance um, or we have less sort of... Um, you know, dedication to that kind of interaction between believers, because that's really what's going to strengthen you in, in life. And I'm going to tell you something in my own life. I can honestly say it's been other believers that have helped me to stay the course by the things that they've said, by me watching the life that they live. It has helped me to see, oh yes, I can do this. Oh yes, I can get through this. Their testimonies have helped me. So if you are attending church or doing things and it's not actually providing that for you, 
that's not exactly what God had in mind. So I just want to put that out there. I want you to be intentional about how you're engaging with other believers. This isn't something, like I've said before, this isn't something about you being a parishioner and someone else being a teacher or a preacher or whatever. It's about you guys having an interaction, okay, in terms of, you know, the word of God. So I want to point out as we go into this Bible study that in verse 10, it says they always err in their heart. And I just want to underscore the fact that a lot of times we are so busy looking at people erring in, you know, their natural life. Oh, you know, he didn't do this. Oh, she didn't do that. And I'm not saying that those aren't outward signs of what's going on on the inside but a lot of times we're too busy measuring people by what we can see in terms of the outward when the Lord is always looking at the heart and that's why I'd say it's so important to really kind of you know examine your heart at all times so that you're not just doing things you know with the idea that you know it's going to look good it's going to get you these brownie points and whatever really act from the heart because that's actually where God is. That's where you're getting your points from God. (laughs) You know, nobody else can give you points to get into heaven. You know, if there's a point system out there, there's nobody who can give you that. So it's best that you do whatever it is toward God. And he says they always err in their heart. He's talking about a particular generation, this generation of people that he brought out of the promised land. He said they always err in their heart in verse 10. And he warns again of an evil heart of unbelief in verse 12. So once again, and I want to hone in on this point, he's talking about the children of Israel, how they always erred in their heart. And then in verse 12, he talks about an evil heart of unbelief. And this is among believers in the New Testament. So we have, you know, God talking about a heart um, and erring in the heart in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So it shows us that this is really where God is focusing. And so I want you to keep that in mind. Um, And then finally, in verse 8, it says, harden not your heart. So this verse is actually talking about the heart. As much as it says all these things about unbelief, it talks about he how he swore in his wrath and you know, they didn't believe. He's really talking about the state of their heart. And it is the state of your heart that's really going to determine a lot of things in your life. And there's something really interesting he said that there is a deceitfulness of sin. And that is absolutely true. I think a lot of believers don't realize just how deceitful sin is. And so the deceitfulness of sin can come in terms of sin as a temptation. That's what we always think, you know, oh, the guy sees a pretty woman and she's here to really kind of destroy his life. Or, you know, the lady sees a, a good looking guy and, or, you know, some sort of sin temptation. Like, you know, you see some money and they're like, you know, you just need to do this, sell your soul and you get this money. But it's not always that, you know, sin can also be practiced, something that you practice and do that's intentional, intentional, but is wrong. Another thing is sin can be appearing to deny God's word. So if God says one thing and then you see someone doing something evil and it seems to contradict what God says, sin can deceive you. It can make you think that what God said isn't true. And then there's the sin in not believing God's word. This is really big. And this was really one of the huge sins 
that uh, the children of Israel were really guilty of. They weren't, I mean, they did have their moments where they were doing debauchery, but their major issue was really they just didn't believe God. And that was really the bottom line. So there is a kind of sin in not believing God's word um, and, and not not believing because of sin in the world. So when you look around at the world, you say, oh, there must not be a God. God isn't doing anything. God has forgotten. He has not forgotten. He has not. And then, of course, there is a sin in departing from God. This idea, oh, you know, this God thing doesn't work. Or, you know, uh, maybe there's another truth out there. Or maybe I'll just mix a whole lot of, you know, ideas together. So there are all these things. And so it says for 40 years that God kept proving himself to them. He said that specifically in verse nine, you know, that for 40 years, he said, I proved myself to these people 40 years. You know what I mean? And he says, they still didn't believe me. And, you know, one of the things that I realized about this, and it was for the first time, you know, kind of, I put these ideas together. Um, when I realized this and then read this verse, it was like, it all came together at once. But what I realized, and this, I had this realization maybe, um, some years ago, but, um, it wasn't until now reading this scripture that it all sort of came together for me is that, what I realized years ago was that there is a nature of some people that if you find people who are always looking for reasons that you are bad or to see bad in you, despite the massive good that you've done, it's important to realize that those people are haters. Those people are not good. There's something wrong in those people's heart. If they need to say, aha, I told you that this person was bad. I told you that he or she was bad after years of kindness. That's proof of their bad eye toward that person. That's not proof of that person's badness. <laughs> you know, you'll see people who, you know, this person will be an angel and then they'll do something nasty to that person. And then that person will respond in a way that seems, you know, um, hard or harsh. And they'll be like, see, I told you that person was mean. See, I told you that person was evil. No, that's you. That's actually you. You're trying to look for proof of a person's quote unquote badness. And this is what you need to understand. You know, it's them seeking to find mud on a person's name. This is what Israel was doing. These people were haters. <laughs> it is not God who is to blame here. It's Israel. They're the ones who never believed in the goodness of God after 40 years, 40 years. I mean, if God just turned a stick into a snake for you to get you out of bondage, you mean you don't believe him in the wilderness? If he brought, he rained bread down on you every day and you still don't believe God loves you and he's looking after you, he rained quail down on you and you still think he's bad, he's left you to die in the wilderness, he brought water out of a rock for you and you still don't believe God, it's, it's, a, it's too much, it really is too much and it's not God that is at fault here because each and every time he is showing them that he loves them. It's those, those are the ones that never believe in the goodness of God despite the massive goodness of God. They never appreciate the good things he did for them. And they kind of saw them as just goodies, you know, 
and, you know, but not really proof of his love and character. I mean, it's really like having someone who loves you and they're sh showering you with good things and giving you stuff and you're like, woo, yay, I'm getting all these great things. But you never think the reason that they're doing this is because they actually care about you. You're just glad to get goodies, you know? And that springs from selfish, sort of hateful, small-minded people that do not see the good that someone does toward them as evidence of that person's good character, but instead as goodies just to be gotten and grabbed, you know, stuff to grab and nab. And this is why some people use good and kind people or treat good people bad. Um, it's because for them, it, it, it's, it's just stuff. They're too enamored with the stuff and wanting the stuff that they cannot see the good of that other individual. And it actually is evidence of their own evil heart. Can you imagine being more excited about the box above the pure gold watch that someone gives you? You know how we have children, you can give them a toy and instead of the kid you know, playing with the toy, they toss the toy over their shoulder and they just are enamored with the box and they're just playing with the boxes because they don't understand value. And that's really the bottom line. Just like a child doesn't understand value, just like putting, you know, that whole saying, you know, uh, don't cast your pearls before swine. It's because when someone can't see value, they just can't see it. It says something about who they are in terms of their maturity, their understanding how they've grown as internally. Some people are absolutely stunted in the inside. They look like big, strong, strapping, good-looking men. But on the inside, they're, they're Mickey Mouses. They're little children. She looks beautiful. She has a great figure. She has, you know, all of this going for her. But in the inside, she's stunted. All she cares about is the trinkets and the goodies. And she doesn't care about what is the more weighty thing. And that's really kind of what you see here with the children of Israel. Is that you see they're overwhelmed and happy about the goodies that they get. Yay, we get water from a rock. Yay, we get bread from heaven. Yay, we get quail from heaven. Yes, the Lord saved us from the evil Egyptians. But at the same time, they're missing the point that there is a huge God almighty in the sky, a good, good father who is giving you all of this, you specifically all of this. And we all have fallen into this category. That's why maturity is so important, is that you want to grow to understand who God is and stop judging him by the things that he gives you and realize he's doing all this great stuff, not because you deserve it or he has to do it, but because he's good. That's what a good God is. He allows the sun to come up. He allows the rain to come down. He allows you to eat bread or rice or whatever food it is that you're able to eat. He permit, provides that. And so you need to be grateful for that. And unfortunately, the children of Israel showed us a perfect example of not being grateful. And so it is true stupidity to take for granted someone's extravagant love for you over the perishable item. If someone gave me $50 million, I'm going to say, why did you do that?
And if they came again and gave me more, I'm going to say this person either cares for me a lot. I want to know who the person is, not what they're giving me. I want to know who are you? Why did you decide to give me this? Because that is demonstrating something about that individual. And when we're too focused on ourselves and what we get to, who I get to get this thing and what we can achieve and what we can finagle and get, that's when we forget about the wonderfulness that God packs into special individuals and also which is lying deep within himself, a love toward us. It's why God hated Esau. And I know that's a hard thing to say, but the Bible says it and I'm not lying to you. (laughs) Okay. I'm not going to tell you anything that's not in the Bible. And if I do, I'm going to come back and correct it. Um, And I want you to come and correct me if you find something. But the Bible specifically says that God hated Esau because Esau was always trying to get the stuff, never the one who was giving the stuff. If God gave him a birthright, think about this. You know, you know the whole story of how Jacob, you know, tricked Esau and, you know, took away his, um, his birthright. Well, we always think that Jacob was a tricky guy to do that. But the truth is Esau was kind of a lazy soul to not really think that his birthright was great. He had the birthright of the eldest son and he was willing to give that away for a bowl of soup. And he wasn't really going to die. If he had a birthright, then that means he had an expected future, which meant he wasn't going to die if he didn't eat this bowl of soup. And that's the thing we have to remember. If God gave him a birthright, was he really going to die of hunger? No. This event demonstrated his heart, what he thought about God's birthright. He didn't think that much about it. If he was willing to take a bowl of soup for it, And this is what I'm talking about, that love of the thing, love of the gift more than the giver. It is only an idiot who chooses the goodies over the person with the good heart to give it to them in the first place. In truth, the women in the book of Ruth who said to Naomi, your daughter-in-law is better than seven sons, they were correct. They said, Your daughter-in-law is better than seven sons because she loves you. I don't think people understand what that means, what real love is when people go out of their way to help you and do things for you. And you can never meet a person like that because what I'll say is this. I think we all have moments when we meet such people and I feel that I'm extraordinarily lucky to know many of those kinds of people, but... I think that you can never really know and keep those kinds of people in your life if you're selfish, if you don't think about anyone else but yourself, what you can get from them, how you can get it. You know, people who are really grubby like that, they're all, they may have stuff, but that's about it. They usually don't have peace of mind or joy. They might be surrounded by people but it doesn't mean that they're actually having a true interaction with people because their love is in the things and the things will never give you joy. They'll never give you love, unfortunately. And so the Bible tells us that real love is so precious that a rich man could offer all that he had and still not be able to make the balance of love's worth. He can give his substance, he can give his house, you know, and it literally says in the Song of Solomon in verse 
uh, I'm sorry, in chapter eight, verse seven, it says that if a man gave all that was in his house, his house would be rejected. Let's read it. It says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. There's, there's no importance there. Stuff has no importance. And so he says in verse 11 in Hebrews, because of this constant unbelief and suspicion, and rather to get the goodies instead of the one who's giving the good, this suspicion of God's motives, it actually, he actually, God actually determined that he would not allow them to enter his rest. God's rest kind of is like his marriage, like, you know, you coming to live and stay with me. So he realized they cared more about his stuff. So he said, you know what? Like a smart man should or a smart woman should. If you see someone who's trying to be with you only because of the stuff that you have, then you don't have to treat them poorly. He didn't because he consistently kept them. He fed them. He kept them in the wilderness. But he said, you're not going to enter my rest. And that was where the most beautiful things were. He realized you don't really care about me. (laughs) You care about the stuff you can get from me. And that's really the key. And this is something that everybody can use. You know, he determined that he would not let them enter his house. Yeah, you know what? I think maybe this is not a go. You know, and you have to learn from God and with your own relationships. God shows us what we need to do with our own relationships. You know, if we are wise to heed it, he's showing us. If you must constantly prove your love to someone in some sort of ridiculous fashion, then maybe that's not really the thing that you need to be doing. It's probably because the other person has absolutely no love at all. They can't even believe or understand it. And that's really important is that, You have to understand, you know, love is not quid pro quo. You give me love, so I give you love. You're supposed to love regardless. But some people can't give it back. Some people have hardened hearts. And that's what he was uh, warning the believers against, is that don't harden your heart. You won't be able to give love. You won't be able to enjoy things. Um, And he said the reasons that your heart can be hardened is because of sin, because of unbelief. And these are the things that actually hindered the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, because they had unbelief, because they were too busy practicing and believing in sin, that they really couldn't have the heart that they needed to be able to appreciate all of the good that God was doing for them. So it's, it's keeping your heart from being hardened. No matter what happens in life, always keep a gentle heart. And that's one thing that I work on daily. More important to me than any amount of money, anything that happens to me, anything is to keep a heart of flesh because that is what God wants us to have, a heart of flesh. Does it mean I'm running around kissing everybody? No, it makes sure that I have not been hardened so that I cannot have the compassion of Christ, so that I cannot be sensitive to the Lord and to his church and to his people and to doing his will and being glad about it. This is absolutely important for you. God is showing us two things, and we can look at that right now. What God is actually showing us is that he can 
and he will grow impatient. And then two, it is best to abandon an ungrateful and unbelieving heart because it is selfishness. You can't build a home on that. You can't build a friendship. You can't build a life on a selfish person. No matter how much you love them, <laughs> no matter how much you forgive them, it doesn't matter. And that is what God is showing us. Even with his own chosen people, he looked at that generation and said, no, you know what? I really can't do anything with you guys. I'm going to have to just kind of let you stay right here. And that's what we need to understand. And there is a limit. Everyone think God is limitless. Yes, he is, but he does have a limit to patience. The time will run out. It's absolutely assured. God has a limit. And it says that he swore in his wrath that they wouldn't enter his rest. Don't make God swear in his wrath because what he swears, he must keep. Instead, let him swear in his love and goodness concerning you. This is absolutely critical. The Bible says, do not harden your heart. And this is important because sin is deceitful. It will make you think it has prevailed over God or God's word. It will make you think that you need a hard heart to prevail against wicked men. But God shows us in his actions that he can forgive all mankind and at the same time hold him accountable for bad deeds. He can love and punish too. He can forgive and defend himself and the innocent. God demonstrates the truth of what love is. He is truth. And so he is able to do both of these things. Both of these things can be right. You can love someone and decide to step away from them. That's absolutely possible. It doesn't mean that you aren't willing to reconcile. It means that you've recognized who they are, where their heart is at. And that's very critical to see. You must believe God first and everything else last. Sin will make you think it is better to engage in sin than do God's will and word. You must let men be a lie and God be the truth, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 4. And it says in that verse, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So what it's telling us is that whatever God says, that's going to be. Believe him over anything you see. Believe him over anything anyone tells you. Believe him over your feelings. Believe him over the sin and destruction you see in the world. Understand God is going to have the last word. And the verse says, let every man be a lie. Not everything will be evidently a lie. And that's something we have to understand. This is the trap that traps wicked men. They do not realize that not everything appears as it actually is. A wicked man may act believing that the outcome will be one way, but inadvertently seal his own demise because the way things are set up, we don't know everything. We're finite beings. So when God says something, he says something, he's saying this with all of eternity in his rearview mirror. He's known everything. He is the God who was, who is, and is to come. So he knows and sees everything. So it's very important for you 
as a believer to hold fast to God's truth. Where men shut doors, God opens doors. Actually, God opens windows of heaven and pours you out blessings that you don't have room to receive. And truth be told, and I'm just going to be honest, no man can shut a door that God has opened or open one that God has closed. So you have to believe in his providence and what he's doing. Don't be overly vexed if it seems like something happens. Oh, this was bad. Don't worry. God has another way. You must believe this or you will think that the wicked prevail. No, God only gives them enough room to repent and make things right. I want you to remember that. God only gives them enough room to repent and make things right. But I'm going to tell you something. Satan gives them just a little more room than God. He's always, Satan is always going to give you just a little bit more room than God. You know why he does that? He's going to do that because he wants to ensure that you fall. He knows God has set, let's say, April 29th. That's the cutoff date. If you don't get it together by then, God has determined that's going to be it. But he is going to make you believe you have at least until May 25th or at least until May 5th to do it. That is the way Satan is. He wants to trick you beyond that. God has mercy, great mercy, but his mercy goes only so far. Remember, we learned that God has a limit. He looked at the children of Israel and after a while he said, you know what? They're just not going to enter my rest. And he swore in his wrath that they wouldn't. That means they couldn't. He couldn't even go back on his word because he had already sworn. And that's what I'm saying is that a lot of people don't realize Satan's going to give you just a little bit more room than God. He always will. He's going to seem a little bit more generous than God. But he's doing that for a reason because he wants you to fail, quite frankly. And as the old saying goes, Give a fool enough rope and he will hang himself. And that is Satan's MO all day long. That's his mode of operation. It's just to give you just an inch more to make sure you miss the deadline, to make sure you miss the window of mercy and opportunity that God has given you to repent, to make things right, and to change. There's this great example in the book of Esther, since we're talking about fools hanging themselves on ropes. Esther had an uncle, his name was Mordecai, and he had a deep enemy called Haman. And this guy, he sought to trap Mordecai through treachery and lies and evil alliances and all kinds of secretive subterfuge behind his back. But he built some gallows to destroy Mordecai. He had a whole plan. But as it would happen, he would be the one that would be hung on those very gallows, him and his whole family. You see, God always gets the final laugh. So God's word must be the final authority no matter what you see or experience. God is going to take the very thing that people have intended against you and he's going to cause them to fall into it. Why? Because he knows their heart and he has given them enough time. And of course, Satan is going to be just an inch more generous to ensure that they don't have the time to repent, 
and to make things right with the people they've hurt or stolen or done whatever to. And here's a couple of scriptures that I'm going to leave for you that really kind of underscores this is a real idea in scripture and this really happens. And not only does it happen in scripture, I'm going to tell you from my own experience in life as a believer, I've seen this happen multiple times. This really is God's MO. So let's look at Psalms chapter 7 verse 15. It says, he made a pit and digged it and it's fallen into the ditch which he made. That's Psalms chapter 7, verse 15. It's telling us that we are trapped by our own heart and our own devices, our own traps, deceit, and trickery. So hold on to what is good in your heart. Let's look at Psalms chapter 57, verse 6. It says, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit for me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Think about that. Uh, once again, we're seeing people digging a pit, trying to trap someone, trying to hurt someone, trying to strangulate somebody's progress, and then the very thing happens to them. Literally, when we talk about strangulate, they tried, Mordecai's enemy, Haman, tried to strangulate him with the, the uh, hang, with the noose, but ended up dying on it himself. And finally, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13 says, The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. Think about it. The very thing, the very wickedness that he was saying, he gets snared by it. The very things he was doing. So it's important for us to learn from what the Bible is teaching us. Stay away from the sin that ensnares, because it will harden your heart and you will find yourself doing things and falling into traps that God really doesn't want you in. And don't be afraid of the traps if you're a believer. Don't be afraid if someone is plotting against you at your job, at church. I know I said church, but you know, not everybody there is a believer, you know, um, at your social club, at your business, at wherever, at school. Don't worry. Don't worry, only be wise and obedient, and God will trap the wicked in his own plans. So don't have a hard heart. Believe in God's word. He's going to use that very thing against them. And in being warm-hearted or, or soft-hearted or having a heart of flesh, remember that it is that soft heart of flesh that God wants us to have. Don't let anything in the world harden your heart. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. Hi everyone, and as I promised, I wanted to leave you with the verses that I used in this Bible study. So go ahead and grab your pen and paper so you can write down the verses that we studied in this Bible study. The first verse, the first set of verses was Hebrews chapter 3 verses 8 to 12. That's Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8 to 12. And then after that, we went on to read in, I believe it was um, the Song of Solomon. That's chapter 8 verse 7. That was the Song of Solomon, chapter 8 verse 7. We also read in Romans chapter 3 
verse 4. That was Romans chapter 3, verse 4. And then we had two Psalms and one Proverbs. Psalms chapter 7, verse 15. That's Psalms chapter 7, verse 15. And also Psalms chapter 57, verse 6. Psalms 57, verse 6. And finally, we read in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13. That's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 13. I want to encourage you to take the time to sit down with these scriptures, read them, and meditate. May God richly bless your life. Bye.